welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Chris, it's really good to be on with you. This is actually my very first uh, time um, podcasting remotely, so I'm excited about giving it a try. And uh, just to introduce you, um, we've known each other. We used to be a part of the same church, uh-huh. and yep. um, and then now you're um, you're living up kind of in North um, St. Louis County area, right? Yeah, uh, North County in the uh, Florissant uh, in the Florissant area, kind of uh, okay. what's called uh, uh, Old Florissant. Yeah. Okay, I have a daughter who lives up there. Oh, okay, good deal. Yeah. Well, uh, she lives off of Redman. Oh, yep. Yeah. Okay. That's um maybe about geez, ten minutes away from our house at best. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you do up there? Are you in the uh, I keep thinking teaching, but I'm not for sure. Yep. Um this is uh let me see, I've been teaching at my current school since the Either the 2010-2011 school year or 2011-2012 school year. I can't remember exactly. Um, but this is this will be my 12th year teaching uh, overall. Okay. So, cool. yeah, teach English uh, language arts to freshmen and juniors and also, also a class called a freshman seminar. Do you enjoy that? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, it, it's fun. Um uh, teachings, teachings in the blood, um, both literally and figuratively I've got generations of teachers, uh, behind me. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. It's a little, little odd right now, a little crazy, but yeah. so is every other aspect of society at the moment. So <laughs> it's understandable. Right. Um, so just, uh, fill out the introduction. You're a family man, married, and you have some children. Yeah. And um, what else would you say about yourself just to let people know who Chris is? Wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, like you said, a uh, family man. I've been married to my wife uh, for 14 years now. We were married in 06. I uh, have three kids. Um, and what, what else would I, what else would I say? Uh, about myself. Um, this year has been really good for kind of slowing me down. Hmm. Um, and, and because I tend to be a little spastic jumping from one thing to another <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, uh, the, the Lord has used this to uh, slow me down, to uh, focus on some uh, to focus on some things that are incredibly uh, important, and which is while while I'm not super excited about everything going on in the world, of course, uh, I do appreciate the the time to just sit down, focus, spend time with family, all those different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you say um, to focus on things that are really important, what what are you referring to? Um, so, uh, some of the, it, it, every now and then, um, me and the family will look up and, uh, don't know if you have this same problem, but we'll look up and realize we're just kind of high-fiving each other. Like, uh, uh, we're just kind of crossing paths. Uh, 
okay. constantly and not spending a whole bunch of time with each other. And so that's been that's been great uh, to be spending time with uh, more family. Uh, not being able to be in church right now uh, physically has, of course, stunk, but uh, it has. I hate to say forced, uh, but it has encouraged me to do more in our home uh, mm-hmm. for for the family. And so uh, we've been really good about um, reading our Bibles together and uh, on Sundays having a special set-aside time to, uh, to actually go through a book of Scripture we've done. Daniel, um, and then we are, uh, we just finished James 3 today, uh, and so that's been, that's been awesome. I'm looking forward to getting to uh, a fellowship um, with, um, with my fellow believers, uh, but this has been, that part has really been special to us, and just taking walks, getting to, getting to see our, our neighbors who are also stuck at home as well, getting to have conversations uh, with them. Uh, all of those things, which, I mean, we've been at this house for almost nine years now, and there are some faces that we haven't seen around the neighborhood who have been here even longer than we have. Mm-hmm. And so being able to kind of focus on neighbors and family and even small things like, hey, let's get this very crowded room cleared out a little bit stuff like that that's been mm-hmm. that's been a blessing so um you know i've been thinking about how um you know it's dis- big groups are discouraged yeah um, and that it might be like an ideal time for locally in neighborhoods christians to meet together in small groups so um we've been trying that on friday nights right now only uh, one neighbor, you know, a couple, they come and meet with us. And, um, but um, I don't know, it just seems like an opportune time to um, meet locally, geographically. Yes. More than traveling, you know, and meeting with a big group. But have yes. you um, tried to reach out to fellow Christians, like on your street, and see if they um, were interested in? you know, enjoying Christian fellowship with you during this time? We've, uh, we've not, we've not done that. Um, and part of the reason is because, uh, out of the five people in my house, um, my, my wife, youngest son and, uh, eldest, which is our daughter, um, all have compromised immune systems. Oh, I see. Um, and, and so we, we try our best to really not, not do much of, of anything. Um, we have, uh, what we did do, uh, the beauty of technology and man, I can't imagine this happening, you know, 15 years ago or so, but the, uh, beauty of technology, we were able to start a, uh, I guess extended family Bible study, uh, when Mm -hmm. all of this happened using zoom. And so, uh, I led our family, um, my nieces, my nephew, and uh, uh, my brother, sister, and my parents in a Bible study, and we went. We met uh, twice a week. I'm sorry, not twice a week. Uh, every other week, so uh, twice a month, and that was really encouraging. Um, that was really encouraging for us uh, because, again, it was. Uh, it, it's one of those things where. 
we're missing the fellowship, of course, and then we also, um, at least in our particular situation, have to make sure that we're being as responsible as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, just everything that's going on. But I thank God for the technology piece in that. Like mm-hmm. I said, I mean, man, I can't imagine how tough this would have been even 10 years ago. Uh, with all of the with all of the wide range without all of the wide range of technology that we have right now that allows people to stay in contact or even or even just things like this right right so this is so that's that's been sometimes difficult to put together and it definitely does not take the place of in person mm-hmm. meeting but uh, it's really it's a really appreciated supplement. Uh, at the moment. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Um, well, you're a, since you're a, a black man and you have, I've noticed on your Facebook page, like, um, like right around your profile picture, you have the Black Lives Matter logo. Yeah. Is what it says. Mm-hmm. So you are, um, you know, you have some thoughts about this subject and I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, racism and, um, and kind of getting into, you know, some different questions about that, what your experience has been and stuff. But I thought maybe, um, first maybe, uh, you know, just how would you define what racism is? That's a really good question. Um, so I'm going to give a quick shout out to my friend, uh, uh, James Briggs, who I'm not sure if you know or not. Um, yeah. Uh, he has done a lot of really good work on uh, just studying what Scripture says about the sin of partiality. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I can't help but kind of call on him at this moment, just this idea that racism is the sin of partiality in regards to uh, just something as simple as skin color. Okay. Um. There are some, there are people who I respect and uh, who I go to for uh, advice, whether it's in person or in their literature, that say that um, racism also has a air of privilege to it. So if you are underprivileged or if you do not have power um, in a particular situation, you can be biased, you can be a bigot. Um, you can be showing partiality, but it's not racism because racism has that kind of I can control the system part to it. I don't necessarily uh, parse the word that far down. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, everyone can be everyone can be racist. Um, and it's again just this idea that I am either better than you, uh, because of your skin color, or uh, I, I should be able to do this, or you should not be able to do that due to skin color or anything along those lines. Okay, so um, that seems like a pretty good definition. So showing partiality um, based on skin color, like I guess someone can show partiality on a lot of different things, yeah. ec- economic yeah. uh, status or. Um, a gender or um, or whatever, any number of yeah. things. In this case, racism would be on skin color. Or, yeah. Um, 
And then um, you said anyone can be. So I guess you mean by that that potentially, um, just like any other wrong, we have the potential to to be racist, just like we have the potential to do anything else that is wrong. Is that what you mean by that? Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, again, I just say that um, because, and I, and again, there are people who would uh, who would kind of push back on me on that. But yeah, I, I believe that due to the fact that it is a sin mm-hmm. and due to the fact that we all have a propensity to sin in one way or another, then yes, everybody uh, can be racist. Is everyone racist? No. Also, like, not everyone is sexist or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Right. Um, but yeah, that's how that's how I would define it, definitely. Well, what has your experience been with racism? Uh, so I I come from a very interesting place personally. Uh, I went to Clayton High School, which um, I don't know I don't know how uh, what your listener pool looks like, but uh, if you don't know what Clayton is, very upscale. Uh, very posh part of uh, kind of mid-county St. Louis. Uh, I was able to go there, not as a um, transfer student, but because my father taught there. My best friends growing up from middle school all the way through graduation were uh, six foot something, blonde hair, blue eyed, uh, white guy, and then a... uh, uh, another friend of mine was from Peru. He came here when he was in sixth grade. And so my my pool of friends was very uh, multiracial. Um, the people we hung out with were very multiracial. And, and so that's, that's kind of where I got my schooling. And then from there, I went to Missouri Baptist University, which is a predominantly white University in uh, town and country uh, here in St. Louis, and so I was surrounded by mainly uh, by mainly uh, white people during that time. And so, growing up and all the way up until the Michael Brown incident here in St. Louis, my understanding of race relations in America, specifically St. Louis, was vastly different. Uh, than what it is now. I any kind of negative interaction that I had with police officers or anything along those lines, I kind of chalked it up as being this really weird thing that probably doesn't happen to most people, and I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so there was. There was one time when I was walking to a friend's house in Clayton. Um, I think I had parked my car somewhere. Couldn't remember exactly what apartment he lived in. So it was just down the street. And so I was just kind of trying to, I guess, visualize uh, the last time I was there. And these two police officers, both both uh, both white, uh, one older, one younger, came up to me and said... Um, hey, how long have you been in the area? I told him how long. He said, 
okay, well, uh, you fit the description of somebody who has been dressing as a repairman and going into elderly people's apartments and uh, stealing from them. And I said, wow, okay, so, wow, that's that's crazy. Uh, sorry to hear that's happening. Yeah, I just got into Clayton maybe 10, 15 minutes ago at best, looking for my friend's place, and he just kind of looked me up and down, and um, the older gentleman walked away. So did you have ID on you so you could show, tell them that, like, this is my home, this area, and so forth? Uh, well, the issue is I didn't grow up. Uh, I didn't actually live in Clayton. Uh, that's just where all my friends were. Oh, I see. Okay. So uh, any day off, Saturday, anything like that, uh, as soon as I woke up and got some food in me, I was probably in Clayton. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you went to school there, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But you didn't mm-hmm. live there? No. And uh, the only reason I got to do that was because my dad was a teacher uh, okay. in the school district. Okay. I see. All right. So um, the other cop stayed with me for about uh, about another minute or so, and he gave me this weird, this, kind of this funny look. And I didn't know what else was coming. And he said, I'm not sure why he stopped you. Uh, the only, um, like, the description we got was for a black male who's around 40 years old and uh, six foot two. Um, and for anyone who's never seen me physically, I'm a, I'm a good five two on a, uh, on a really good day. <laughs> and uh, definitely did not look uh, 40 years old when I was 18. And so, um, and I, you know, I the only part of the description I fit was that I was African-American. But again, uh, at that time, it just kind of shrugged it off and said, oh, well, I mean, that was that was weird. Maybe they thought I knew the guy or something like that. And I just kind of uh, mm-hmm. went along, went along my business. But when uh, when Ferguson took place, when the Michael Brown incident took place and and uh, I always think it was interesting that, you know, the first African-American president with the first, uh, I think it was, uh, head of the DOJ, Department of Justice. Uh, I can't remember his name for the life of me now. Eric something. Anyway, um, but they came into Ferguson. They were trying to see if there were any civil rights violations uh, broken during that whole incident. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the report came back that there wasn't. But one of the things the report came back with was that there was wide outside of that incident there was widespread um, policies in the Ferguson Police Department that put African Americans and other minorities at a greater disadvantage uh, than the uh, than the white population and. Uh, as more and more reports like that came out of Ferguson, you had other municipalities in St. Louis that were kind of that were saying the same things. Uh, so some of those were in North County, like um, Cool Valley, or um, well, I can't remember. Can't remember the name of the uh, of another one right between us and Ferguson, uh, off the top of my head. But at that point, I had a kind of a decision to make. That okay. The the run-ins that I had growing up were those part and parcel of something else, or were they isolated? And is Ferguson an isolated police department, or could this be happening in other police departments? Uh, or is Cool Valley 
and Ferguson, isolated police departments, or this could this be happening in other police departments? And then just kind of researching a lot of those things uh, and talking to other people with shared experiences and quite honestly, worse experiences than mine, uh, just kind of began to change my thoughts and my uh, feelings towards the towards the issue of race uh, here in America and just um, more studying because there's a lot of things that I just didn't uh, learn or didn't take the, I should say, didn't take the time to pay attention to or didn't learn when I was in school because I had great teachers in, in high school. But uh, a lot of those things I just really didn't pay attention to and a lot of those just kind of came back to mind and began to understand, okay, this is part of a much larger problem that is and has been going on. So you mentioned um, policies and police departments that um, disadvantaged black men um, is like, what policies, what are you talking about? What policies are can you give me examples? Yeah, sure. Um, so in the Ferguson Police Department, uh, a lot of what would end up happening is uh, someone might have a speeding ticket, let's say. Uh, and the cost of the speeding ticket was so astronomically high for what, what you know, going five over or something along those lines, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a possibility of, of paying it. And so what you then had were people who were no longer driving out of fear of being pulled over, arrested, things like things like that. And so these these same people now have, as this accrues, as this builds up, they now have warrants out for their arrest. Uh, and this was um, this was shown to be specifically. Uh, let me back up. When when these tickets were happening, this was hitting the African-American community in Ferguson a lot harder than the uh, white community. Now, the African-American portion in Ferguson is a lot larger than the white portion, but even if you just go by percentages that number was just still a lot, uh, a lot higher. Uh, and then the tickets were, the tickets were larger, which were putting a lot of people in a disadvantage, uh, economically speaking. And it was just kind of a snowball that after, that after a while, uh, people, people weren't going to court and, or they could not make it to court because of lack of transportation and all of these different things, and it was it was a very strange, very um, sad uh, snowball. And the the problem the problem behind these things becomes that one one portion of that, like the the police officer or the 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 uh, court or whatever does not necessarily have to have it out for this particular individual, but the connected scenarios, the connected decisions uh, that just kind of start at one point and keep going ends up disadvantaging, dis, giving a disadvantage rather uh, to the African-American community in that, 
in that area. So I guess if I'm understanding it right, it's like the um, speeding ticket and then the, the cost of it. Um, I, and I can, you know, so I guess, well, starting off in that area, um, white people are generally uh, of more, have more financial means than black people. And then there's like uh, policies for speeding tickets. And um, I guess, you know, they want, I guess the idea is to um, keep speeding down. So you want to have a, you know, a ticket cost that, um, you know, kind of hurts like the driver. So you, you want the people who have financial means to, you know, learn their lesson, but then for people who don't have financial means, um, then it's a problem because it's more than just learning their lesson. It's like um, not being able to pay and getting kind of caught up in a system that snowballs on itself. Yeah, I mean, a, a speeding ticket in that one instance can literally be a life-altering event. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, go ahead. yeah, go ahead. Fine. And um, and I guess it seems to me like it would make a difference if this was purposely, um, you know, established as a means to make life hard for the black community, or if it was just um, how it played itself out. Sure. Um, because um seems like it could be either way, depending on just the motives of the people involved, you know. And it definitely, uh, yeah, it definitely could be. I, I, I try to make, um, in conversations like this, or in general, I try to not assume the worst motives uh, mm-hmm. of people. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where uh, be the motives good, bad, or indifferent, uh, you still end up with the same effect, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, you know, of course, of course, there is racism. And we'll probably never like reach an utopia. Sure. Um, is there? Do you have any thoughts about how racism can be measured? Since it is a matter of the heart, and even in that example, you can kind of um, imagine um, people with uh, sincere motives coming up with policies like that, mm-hmm. or people with you know uh, evil motives coming up with the policy like that. So, you know, and it's hard to measure just what a person's heart is. Um, Sometimes it's kind of obvious when we experience certain things. Sure. But, um, you know, in society, do you have any thoughts about how um, the problem of racism could be measured as saying, hey, it's really bad, it's um, better than it used to be, it's... um, um, there, but not like a huge thing. Do you have any thoughts about that? Sure. Um, uh, the measuring man, I, I would have to leave that to people uh, much, much smarter uh, than I am. As far as the as far as the uh, the idea of it being being better, I think that's a very large conversation. 
um, in and of itself because we do have we do have policies that have been changed, laws that are laws that are on the books. But as uh, fellow believers, we would we would both be very quick uh, to admit that laws don't change hearts. Um, and, and so having those laws on the on the books doesn't necessarily change what what people experience or necessarily the level of racism itself. It's just kind of one of those things that continues to carry on from father to son, from uh, mother to daughter, just kind of on down, on down the line further and further. So how do we, how do we measure it? I really, really couldn't say as far as, as far as, is it getting better? The laws are getting better. But uh, one of the one of the things that I try to point out to people in just looking at this at this topic, even that can sometimes be a little bit of a uh, misnomer, uh, only because yeah, are, are there still is there still slavery going on? No, there there is not uh, in that in that regard. But I, I try to tell people this idea of redlining, and if. Uh, if someone doesn't know what that is, redlining was a practice set up in different portions of America where banks, um, so private businesses, would uh, circle basically um, black or other minority areas in, say, a St. Louis or something like that with a literal red marker, red crayon, whatever it might be. And the if you lived in that red area, you got worse financing for your house. The further from that red line you were, the better uh, you were, the better off you were going to be. And so that practice took place in many places uh, during during and after the time I was born. So you're talking about uh, the the 80s, mid 80s, the whole bit. And that was that was directed that was directed at African American uh, communities. And so, one of the things I tell people is the fact that my children, my brother's children, my sister's children, are the first Pearsons in American history to not have specific, actually codified written laws and policies against them as African Americans. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that we tend to do is we look at we look at the race relations in this nation and we will say, well, XYZ isn't happening anymore. Or uh, we stopped this, this and that from taking place, so everything's fine, when instead we need to be looking at how are we improving? How are we improving here? Um, Because it's kind of, and I mean, it's a very sensitive, very sensitive topic, but I made the example uh, a while back, years ago to somebody, and I said, it's kind of like if you have a husband who, for the first decade of his marriage, is roaring drunk, 
comes home, is belligerent to his wife and kids, and then, you know, somewhere around year 11 or 12, he still comes home roaring drunk, but he goes straight to bed instead. Is he still harming, is he still physically harming his wife and children? No, which is, I, I mean, definitely, that's a great thing that he's not still physically harming them. The situation is still pretty bad, and there's a lot of changes he still needs to make as a husband. So is he a good husband? No, he is not. Uh, is he doing the things that he used to do? No, he is not. Uh, but if he were to show up in counseling with his wife and say, hey, I don't beat her anymore, no one's going to pat him on the back and say, good job, Johnny. Uh, they're going to focus on the fact that he still stays out at bars until two o'clock in the morning, and comes home roaring drunk. Uh, and that's, uh, I think sometimes uh, we, we kind of get that mixed up in talking about and talking about racism because there's still a lot to do. We've come, we've come a good long way, and for that I, I am thankful. Um, my grandmother passed this past year. She was 103 years old. Wow. Actually, not this past year. She passed in January. Mm -hmm. um, so she was 103 years old, and she went from having grandparents who were slaves to seeing the first black Supreme Court judge uh, and seeing the first black president wow. uh, all in her lifetime. I know, right? I mean, that's that's beyond amazing. So you can't say that things have not changed. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how far, how far do we still have to go before things are actually corrected? And I think that's a, I think that's a big question. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um. Well, how will we recognize when racism isn't a common problem? Like um, your example is kind of interesting about the fellow comes home who's roaring drunk. How do we um, know when uh, he's not roaring drunk anymore? <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, that's a that's a good question. I think uh, I think part of what we part of what we need to look at. Are the very are the very systems that uh, that we have built into this nation? So systems are are not in and of themselves evil or righteous. Uh, they're just how we get things done, right? But sometimes those systems can be unduly and unfortunately slanted towards uh, towards others. So, for example. Uh, New York, Philadelphia, a handful of other places on the East Coast, which is known for being fairly liberal, progressive, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. About every two or three years now, uh, there's some kind of expose about how, uh, well, I mean, the, the recent one I read uh, was from maybe a year and a half, two years ago, had a biracial family, and the... Let me see. I think the husband was white. The wife is uh, black. And when he went in to talk to re when the two of them went in to talk to realtors and all those different things, or when uh, realtors came into the house to price it and all of that, uh, 
when both of them were there, uh, they were quoted different prices, all these different things. When it was just him, uh, they got wildly different numbers. And so they did this. They did this several times with uh, different uh, realtors, different companies, and there was a. I think there was a whole like undercover uh, air quotes since no one will be able to see that whole undercover bit uh, that went along with it, and it stretched out over a handful of months. Um, a whole report was written about it, whole thing, and so uh, housing has always been, or or land ownership. Uh, home ownership has always been a way to become upwardly mobile in American society. And, and so if you still have that sort of thing happening to one family, kind of goes back to what I had to wrestle with during the whole Ferguson bit. Is this that one family that that's happening to? Is it just these five or six um, realtor companies? Or is this bigger? Is this just places in New York or Philadelphia? Or were there other places where they just didn't do this particular study that it's happening still as well? So uh, things like things like housing, um, or uh, let me see. I'm going to say the wrong company. It was not Chase Bank. I don't think it was J.P. Morgan. Can't remember where it was. But somebody uh, on one of the boards for one of the bigger banks, Wells Fargo, said that they would hire more uh, African Americans and other minorities if there were people uh, of if there were minorities of the caliber that they were looking for. And somebody on LinkedIn put together an entire list of people uh, that had applied for uh, positions and all of that, whose criteria was just as good, if not better, than uh, other people who were in the room. Um, and so things like things like that, where how are we going to know, I guess, when... We don't have to have exposés, and we don't have to have those lists uh, put together, which seems like uh, a far uh, place from where we are now. Um, so, and and again, how do you how do you measure that across so many different industries? And uh, because again, banking, housing. All of these different, all of these different uh, uh, places in uh, in America, where uh, voting, even uh, someone was talking about how one of the one of the astronauts on the space shuttle was able to vote uh, in this past election, which is uh, really awesome and I mean just very cool. And then at the same time, predominantly uh, black places down in Georgia, you have uh, you have African-Americans who are literally waiting in line for five or six hours to do the exact same thing that she was able to do from a space shuttle. Uh, 
flying, you know, miles and miles above the uh, closest polling place. And um, and so looking at looking at dispar disparities like that. When will we know when he's not roaring drunk anymore? It's uh, it, it's a tough call. Uh, it is. It's a. It's a very. It's a very tough call. I mean, to carry out that um, strange example. Um. The, the, the husband is might stop coming home roaring drunk, but maybe he's staying out of the house until he's sober. Or maybe his clothes still reek of alcohol because he's still going uh, to that bar and only having five or six drinks instead of the 10 or 12 that he used to. Or maybe he's promises he's going to go to AA meetings and skips them half the time. Um, no longer roaring drunk is really great. What is he doing to make sure that is not going to happen again, that he's on the right track to actually recovering also needs to be part of that conversation. So this is a brand new idea to me. I was just listening to a podcast this morning um, with Coleman Hughes and Jordan Peterson. And I, I enjoy listening to Jordan Peterson but Coleman Hughes, brand new name, and then I get home and I, I mention the podcast, and my son evidently has been listening to Coleman Hughes for a while now. <laughs> Are you familiar with him at all? I am not, no. Okay. The, the podcasts I listen to are way less cerebral uh, than that. <laughs> and, well, um, so he um, he's writing a book, and it's an advocating advocacy for uh, – Race neutrality, um, I'm not sure if that's the right way he phrased it or not, but um, for us, no, he said something about colorblindness. Um, okay. But um, basically, it's um, not saying that we don't see color because we, mm -hmm. you know, we do. Sure. Um, but <clears throat> rather not uh, classifying ourselves into race. Um, like right now, it you know, there's a lot of emphasis put on it. You know, when you, and I don't know if he was referring to this, but I, you know, I just thought about you know, whenever you're filling out a form, a lot of times you have to check what your race is. Sure. And um, the, I guess the idea is. Um, so anyway, uh, I didn't even finish uh, watching, listening to the podcast yet. It just really caught my interest. But something I have thought about before is like, what if you. Um, just in, you know, in a thought experiment, took away everybody's race and our history as well. So, um, what we would have, what we would have at that point is um, we would have disparity in um, economic status, mm -hmm. and of course, that disparity disparity is going to be a disparity in um, opportunity as well because with higher economic status you have more opportunity and so forth so it's like something that kind of builds on itself as you you go up in economic status but um, you would have something that's not ideal um, oh sure uh, we um, you know like a extreme uh, you know when our uh, society is an extreme 
extreme differences economically. It, you know, it's not as stable as if it was closer together. So it's not ideal for anybody. But uh, it almost seems like it would simplify the problem a little bit as far as like, well, what, you know, what do we do? Um, it's not so much that we're wanting um, an equality of <clears throat> outcome as far as to make sure, you know, force everybody to be right on the same level, but it's um, wanting to, um, just for the sake of justice, wanting the people who are uh, kind of in the lower places of society to um, have opportunities and to be able to um, rise up and to grow and stuff like that. But it seems like it would... Um, make um, things um, less messy just thinking about it along those lines. And I don't know if that's what he was kind of getting to as far as race neutrality, something I'm going to continue listening to and so forth. But um, I don't know. It's just I'm kind of rambling. But do you have any thoughts on any of that? Uh, So if if we stop speaking in terms of race, is that what kind of the idea? Maybe it is, or stop putting so much emphasis on it. Um, uh, yeah, like maybe uh, some of the um, the work, uh, um, and I am I imagine really good intention work of trying to help um, fight against racism mm-hmm. might um, inadvertently be kind of um, polarizing the races by putting um, a um, spotlight on it. Um, and um, well, anyway, I guess ideally we, um, we probably are looking for race neutrality or colorblindness. Ideally, we want everyone to be treated um, in the same way as an oh, individual yeah. instead of in, instead of in this group or that group, because, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, our history does make it messy. And, uh, so anyway, I don't know where this is going or <laughs> very many more thoughts except for that. But. No, you're fine. Um, and I, I think the, the key to that is, uh, the history, um, behind it all really. Mm-hmm. um, when you have when you have the current situation that we have right now uh, in this nation, I don't mean you know the bizarreness of 2020. I just mean the 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 history of the nation in general. When you have this situation, uh, it is a it's a very admirable, uh, I, I think, uh, very hopeful way of looking at things and saying, you know what, let's just stop uh, discussing it um, and let's, uh, you know, if we just stop talking along those lines and bringing those things up, then maybe uh, we'll begin the process of, of healing and all that. And I've, uh, I have talked to some people, again, uh, very, very smart people, well-read people, very uh, well-educated people who wholeheartedly do believe that. I think the problem is that despite the fact, and this is something my father brings up a lot, despite the fact that race is a completely um, made up mm-hmm. idea, 
I mean, it just is. It is completely made up idea. It's artificial. It, it's not. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just literally different shades of color, no different than um, you, you know splitting people up by height or by uh, the the length of their toes. I, I mean, it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that's just what we've done. It, it has to it has to be it has to be dealt with in some way. So yeah, doing things like taking the the uh, African American uh, white slash Caucasian uh, Hispanic box off of um, off of job applications and and stuff like that would be would be an incredibly incredibly helpful i think sometimes if if you were forced to just look at people as their qualifications um then yeah that would be that would be amazing uh in those in those situations sometimes uh if if that's that's all you needed to do that would be that would be great uh as far as a lot of well-meaning people. There probably are a lot of well-meaning people who do inadvertently make things more difficult. I don't. I don't doubt that. That's a fairly normal human trait to uh, want to help and then end up making a mess of things. That's that's a fairly normal human thing to do, and I would not doubt that mm-hmm. this happens uh, in the issue of race relations in this nation as well. Uh, on on both sides, and race relation is probably not the only place it takes place. Probably socioeconomic right. and sexism and educational disparities and all these different things. Probably uh, probably the uh, the exact same there. Uh, but I think we also need to we also need to understand that I think we're trying to figure out how to say this so I don't kind of tie myself up in words here. I, I think we're so far from, we're, we're incredibly far from being from a place where most people are just kind of purposefully or accidentally agitating, if that makes sense. I, I think we're kind of, I, I think we're still a, a, a far uh, a far distance from that. Are there people who are doing that on uh, purposefully or accidentally? Yes, but I think that there are also the vast majority of people are probably bringing up things that need to be talked about, that need to be discussed in the public sphere. Um, and and the reason I say that is because I, I remember seeing this uh, post on Facebook uh, a few years ago. Somebody was somebody had taken a picture of the rubble of the Berlin Wall, and um, there was a celebration there, and it was for the fact that the Berlin Wall had been down, that day had been down for just as long as it had been up. And so, I mean, just this cool thing. I mean, it was really awesome to think about. Hmm. And uh, when I when I thought about that, it's like, man, if you if you just if things suddenly became from an American perspective in regards to race, 
Uh, and as I talk about race, I also want to make sure that, again, anybody listening, um, black and white are not the only races in America. Um, we have, unfortunately, our, our conflict uh, throughout American history has kind of set the tone for a lot of other race relations in this nation, but we're not, of course, the only races. So when, when I do talk about race relations, yes, I'm talking mostly about white and uh, black. Um, but that, that idea of uh, the Berlin Wall, and if in America we kind of had that same spot with slavery, not, not with Jim Crow, not with sharecropping, not with redlining, anything like that, if you put slavery at starting in the 1600s and ending in the mid-1800s, the African-American, the black people group in this nation, though there are no more slaves around, I, I was not a slave, my father was not a slave, whole bit. Uh, if we just stop and draw that line at slavery, African-Americans as a sub-people group in America have still not been free for as long as we were enslaved. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, and when I thought about that, that's wild to me. So like American history is so incredibly short, mm -hmm. so incredibly short. And, and so I, I love this idea that if we just stop talking about race, if we just stop talking about color, if we, uh, take the take the boxes off of the applications, and if we stop looking at um, every every year, the FBI does their crime statistics, and they do uh, white crime, black crime, Hispanic, Native American, whole bit. If we just stop doing those things, would things get better? Maybe, but I also think we have so much further to go than what a lot of people realize when they when they say that. I think their heart is in the right place. I think they might even I think that I think that idea can be packaged up and set aside for when we're a little bit further down the road. But for right now, I think we're still in the midst of needing to have a lot of really hard conversations before we get close to that. What do you, what do you suggest, um, like especially for people like me who kind of feel, you know, outside of the issue, um, because um, I don't know, it's just not something I, I think about a whole lot. Sure. Um, and um, even if I did, I'm not sure, um, you know, what what's helpful for me to do. What's helpful for, uh, you know our government to do, I guess would be a, another question. Yeah. Um, of course we don't, um, you know, you'd mentioned, uh, civil rights being, um, violated there, you know, them checking that out. So that's, um, of course we don't want civil rights to be violated. Of course. But, um, <clears throat> well, anyway, what do you suggest, you know, when you think of people like myself who kind of feel outside of the issue uh, as far as um, what you would like to see see me doing, or is there anything helpful that you know of and so forth? Um, 
So uh, one of the great things that happened during this last round of, I mean, just to put it weirdly, during this last round of protests and marches and whatnot, um, connected uh, to everything that happened over the summer, um, and uh, Breonna Taylor and uh, all of that, uh, one of the great things that happened is that a lot of uh, white males, white females, began to march themselves and began to stand up and say, okay, this was not right, all these different things. Uh, and I think that's, I think personally that's huge. Uh, that I, I would get the feeling that a lot of times that probably doesn't seem like it's changing much. Uh, but a again, from from my vantage point, and of course, uh, African American community is not monolithic, so there might be people who disagree with me. But I, I think that speaks volumes, volumes, uh, because if I stand up and begin to talk about how things are not fair for black males, um, black females in this nation, then, yeah, I've got a dog in the fight, and you would assume that that means people are going to listen to me, but a lot of times it's seen as, well, he's biased. Um, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a slanted view of this because when maybe the things that happened to him, um, you know, he had it coming or whatever whatever it might be. When somebody from outside of a particular group stands up and says, I don't like what's happening to them. What is happening to them is wrong. I don't know how I'm going to fix it, but I'm going to stand with them and I'm going to continue saying what is happening with them and to them is wrong. I think that does make people stand up and take notice uh, a little bit a little bit more. Um, it, that's just that's just kind of my my thoughts on it. I don't as as somebody with about the same kind of political power as I do. Um, I don't I, I don't expect anybody to become what man. What what was the guy who was it? Mister Smith goes to Washington or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't expect anybody to be the next Mr. Smith or anything like that to get up to Washington D.C. and change things and 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 flip tables and and argue these sort of things. Um, I, I think the change we need to see is ground level change. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure what the government can honestly can honestly do. Uh, there is uh, a lot of talk about reparations um, and uh, with some, uh, again, people who are much smarter than me uh, debate whether or not things like that need to take place. I've not done as much research on that as I probably, as I probably should. So I can't say necessarily that that is a thing that would help and if it did take place, how it should look. But I think anything that's going to have true lasting impact has to be at the ground level. It has to be within families. It has to be hard conversations between neighbors, between coworkers, between uh, whoever uh, whoever it might be. Uh, and strong friendships have to be 
developed uh, the whole bit. And that's and that's a long, long game. Mm-hmm. That's an incredibly long game. But that's also how we got here, I think. It's also how we got here. Uh, every every year for my juniors, uh, we read a book uh, called uh, Autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And he talks about how uh, on the same plantation, you have maybe three generations of slave owners on that plantation. Well, the the father might have bought his first slave when he was 20 himself, and then his son was raised on a plantation with slaves. And so that's, that's now normal. That's a completely normal thing. And then by the time that first man's grandson is born on that plantation, that's third generation. He's never heard any, he's never heard a white person around him talk about a time before slavery. He's never met a black person that was not a slave. So that's, that's how we got here in the first place, uh, mm-hmm. by, by just kind of normalizing things through generations. And so the only way to reverse that is going to be the same long, hard walk. In fact, it's going to be a harder walk just because we're coming from a deficit. And so that, that walk is going to be even, is going to take even longer than us getting here in the first place. And so I don't, I don't think there is a, I don't think there is a quick, um, here's how we fix, what do we need to do? I think it's going to be those conversations. It's going to be those moments of realization. It's going to be really difficult readings, really difficult talks, a lot of sitting and listening sometimes and asking and asking questions. Yeah, um, maybe so, yeah. Um, maybe the conversations would be helpful. Um, like I, I can just kind of imagine, you know, the response people in my circles might have to some of these things for and how they feel like um the George Floyd incident mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. everyone recognizes that as wrong and um but um they um whether you know they saw see it um you know it's like a, a definite sign of racism or if it um you know uh was or wasn't, you know, might be a little bit more questionable. Um, but um, like the Michael Brown and Brianna Taylor, like I'm not an expert on any of these situations. I'm sure. not much of a news watcher and stuff. But um, when I hear people in just kind of casual conversations, they mention, um, you know, the situation uh, of like uh, in such a way, well, even no matter what the person's color um, it could have still ended up just that same way because of the incident and their and what was going on at the t- time. And you know, you're mentioning um, like uh, getting involved in uh, protest. <clears throat> you would a person would need to feel like pretty strongly, you know, um, about an issue to kind of uh, to go and get involved out in the public type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Um, People in my circles, they just don't feel it, or and they're and it could be that they're distrustful of the media, like um, sure, 
like if, um, you know, these things are um, being labeled and pointed to as racism when it might be questionable whether it is or not. Um, so they, so conversations might very much um, help if a person wants to know what it's like for someone outside of their own circle. But um, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, about um, can you kind of uh, understand like what I'm describing? Um, just the people you know that I'm around and how they might respond to like the Michael Brown type of stuff, and um, and just uh, feeling like, um, well, he, he was a black man, but um, uh, it could have been, he could have been a different color, um, mm-hmm. and it could have still happened the same way. So to be kind of lifting that up as like a racist type of thing, um, you know, they, they would kind of push back against that, I guess. Sure. Um, and I guess uh, one of the things I would say uh, in regards to that is, and and again, you, you can't necessarily measure what happens in one precinct or in one city against uh, another precinct in another city. But I, I guess as you look at a wide range of narratives from uh, people who don't necessarily um, think or feel uh, the same way. Uh, I, I think that I, I think that 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 understanding might might change, or it again might might bring up a, at least a different uh, point of view. So uh, to the Brianna Taylor bit, uh, this this idea that yes, it could have happened any other way and that and that's very that that's very possible it's very possible but a lot of what people are seeing is that it doesn't and i think that's the i think that's kind of the that's kind of the key that's kind of the the idea that it it doesn't happen uh the other direction so if you're uh if you think about george floyd um it hypothetically it could have gone down just the same if he were Hispanic or if he were blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, whole bit. Um, could have, but it, it, from what we see from personal footage, be it from police cameras or from uh, individuals taping things, it, it doesn't as much. Um, or if we talk about uh, Ahmad Arbery in, I think it was uh, Georgia, where he was out running, uh, and uh, he was shot because he wouldn't stop when bystanders told him to stop. Uh, it could hypothetically happen in the exact same way if that person were if that person were white but uh, according to just uh, according to eyewitnesses accounts according to uh, again uh, footage or anything like that it it doesn't and so 
I feel like when when people go to the route of, well, it probably would have happened that way if uh, he were white. It probably would have happened that way if she were white. They're pulling from a place of hypothetical. What the what the conversation what the conversation I think needs to look at is, okay, but the last time this happened, this person was African American. And the last time before that this happened, the person was African-American, and so on and so on and so forth. Uh, And so does that mean it does not happen to white people? Uh, Definitely not. White white men get shot by police as well. But when we uh, look at percentages of population, and we look at uh, uh, the population per capita of specific places throughout the nation, it's happening disproportionately to African-American men and women. And so statistics and uh, personal narratives and all that, we can get lost in the whole, well, it was just the scenario. If this person was white, it probably would have happened to them as well. Instead of looking at the bigger picture, but this person was African-American, and the last several times it happened in this town, they were African-American. And the last however many times in this precinct it happened, this person was African-American. At that point, we need to start asking questions and saying, okay, it looks like this is disproportionately happening to uh, black men and women. And I think that's when the conversation changes. Yeah. Um yeah, looking at, you know, studying st- those statistics and stuff seems like that'd be helpful. I don't know anything about oh, percentages and stuff sure. like that, you know. But um, I guess, you know, how often, um, like, does the matter of you, of your race, of being a black man, does that, is that something that you feel like affects you on a daily basis or occasionally or how often do you feel like it's making a difference in your, your life? Um, you know, this is kind of a strange question, but a, a friend of mine, we were talking and he brought it up and he said, um, you know, uh, we, um, me and him, two white men, um, we can sit here and talk about race, um, <clears throat> but like a person who is uh, black, um, it, it's like the daily their life is being affected by it. So I'm just, uh, so I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, or if it, um, so I just thought I'd bring that up and just ask you like what your thoughts are on that. Um, sure. So uh, how often do I think about it? If I'm just sitting around my home, to be completely honest, um, it, it's not, it's not something I think of any more than I'm a male or short or, you know, have salt and pepper hair. Mm-hmm. Um, out in society, uh, yeah, I it, it is a thought that crosses my mind uh, a lot, uh, depending on the situation. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, family was out of town about a month ago, go visit some relatives, and I decided to go to one of my favorite taco places down in U-City, and... Um, couldn't eat inside uh, because of everything going on right now. So I grabbed my food and I was, uh, I decided to go sit in our van 
um, at at a park that I used to go to a lot as a high schooler because this is in the same area. And as I was driving to go sit at that place, I automatically had the thought of, okay, if a police officer comes up to me and asks me what I'm doing just sitting here, then, you know, I'll just tell him, you know, just got just got some food and decided to sit and reminisce for a while and the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And the thought was more or less automatic. I mean, I wasn't I, w- I wasn't trying to play out like doomsday scenarios or anything like that in my head. It was just the reality of me being an African-American male um, sitting at a park in Clayton, Missouri, uh, near dusk. There is a strong possibility that a police officer could come up and ask why I'm sitting there at a park in St. Louis, Missouri, in Clayton, Missouri, at dusk. Um, small things like that have happened before, and you know, it's just something that you mentally kind of prepare yourself to to have to explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not, and I don't have in the back of my mind that I might be dealing with a racist cop if he comes up with something along those lines. I just know that. Uh, depending on where you are, what time of day it is, that even even what you're driving, you leave yourself open for questions. What are you doing here? Why are you doing it here? And, you know, it might end up with the simple, all right, sir, we were just checking. Have a good day. And, or it might end differently. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, um, all of mine had ended. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Uh, but I know people for them uh, who it have who it has not. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it's one of those things that you do think about, and it's it, it's just a thought that passes passes your mind. Um, and you 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 think about what you're going to do in that scenario, and you. You just kind of go from there, and you decide whether or not it's worth it. Uh, how much, how much trouble you could be causing yourself, and and yeah, you just kind of move on from there. You know, in our conversation, I noticed that um, I'm saying like black man, white man, stuff like that, <laughs> and you're you're saying African American, and maybe I don't know if you'd refer to uh, me as Caucasian instead of white. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, um, is that in, important? Is that you know uh, a, a matter of being respectful or, or something along those lines? Or do you have any thoughts about that? For me personally, uh, and again, um, and I'm sure you know this, but uh, again, for anybody else listening, the uh, African American slash Black culture is no more monolithic than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I personally could not care less. Mm-hmm. Uh, black. African American, whatever it whatever it might be, is whatever just kind of rolls off the tongue at the moment right. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I couldn't care less what other uh, which other one or whichever one rather people use around me uh, to refer to anything. I don't normally say Caucasian only because it's kind of a weird sounding it's, word. It's not, <laughs> sure, right. So it's. If I say white, I will normally say, if I'm talking about 
uh, race relations, I will say white and black. I won't normally say white okay. and African-American. But right. And I, I have a, a, there's a close family of ours who they don't like either. They would just rather be called American. So, okay. yeah, it, it's a, it's a toss up between right. uh, whoever you're probably talking to at the time. I personally don't care. Right. Well, Chris, it's been good to talk with you. Thank you. You as well. Taking the time. Is there anything else you want to bring up or uh, leave us with or anything like that before we sign off? Um, well, not, not necessarily. I think that, um, I think that, uh, the current climate that we're in right now, not, not a COVID, but, uh, politics and um, rhetoric flying around from virtually anybody and everybody in the political spectrum right now does not lend itself, it seems, does not lend itself to having productive conversations. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage anybody who is listening to reach out and have those conversations anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, and people on both sides being willing to, I mean, it, and it's just scripture, right? Be slow to speak, uh, quick to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I would encourage anybody to just kind of take up that idea of, hey, can I talk to you about this? I had some questions. I don't understand how uh, so many people could have voted for Donald Trump. That's a good question. Let me talk to you about that. Or... I don't know how you could look at this scenario and not vote for Donald Trump. That's a good question. Let me talk to you about that. (laughs) And then actually sit and listen Mm -hmm. uh, to how the other person responds. Right. I, I think that is, I think that's incredibly important. We do not do ourselves any favors when the bulk of what we understand about race relations in this nation comes from Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Fox and CNN. Mm-hmm. Like right. we, we do not do ourselves any favors uh, whatsoever. Do I think that the media is out to get us? No. Do I think that they have to fill 24-7 airtime? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, if that's where you're getting your understanding of race relations from, you really need to branch out and talk to somebody who doesn't look like you mm-hmm. uh, and really just, yeah, just just kind of listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.